0: Jesus, Because, you know, as Christians, we have done such a good job about telling people about Jesus, giving the altar call, having people raise hands, repeat a prayer, and then we send them on their merry way, and they have no clue what's next. They have no clue. What does it mean? What just happened? What did I just agree to? It kind of reminds me of marriage, you know, whenever whenever I got engaged, like tons of people flooded me with ideas and with magazines. And Pinterest wasn't in yet, okay? So I didn't have that awesome tool to overwhelm me even more. But like I had all these people telling me about, oh, you should do this. Oh, you should try this. You know, our wedding changed for me and Jason going, you know, we want about 50 people, 75 at the most. To my parents going, uh, <laughs> no. 300 guests later, And every single one of them showed up, like seriously. And it was like everybody prepared us for, you know, make sure that you call the caterer on time, make sure that you order your cake, you know, like months in advance. And, you know, it's, you know, don't panic and stress about the invitations. And, like, they give us all of this advice that we felt well prepared for the wedding, you know, for the ceremony. You know, and you know, it went off kind of like without a glitch, almost. I mean, I showed up, Jason showed up. It's all that mattered. The preacher was there. But you know what? No one really prepared us for marriage. No one told us that we were going to have to come and try to agree on what brand of mustard to buy. You know, n- no one no one told me that that I would have to explain to my husband what I had bought at Walmart and spent all this money on. You know? No one told me that I had to prepare my husband that at least once a month my appointment with the hairstylist was going to be kind of expensive. No one prepared me for our first argument and what it was going to be like and what it was going to feel like. It's like they were like, yay, get married. And then they like threw us into marriage. And we had to kind of figure it out by ourselves. And it was really difficult. And I love my husband. And I mean, it's me. How can he not love me? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's awesome, you know? But it was so difficult. And we felt like no, one, like no one was real with us about it. Everybody's like, oh, you're in love. And it's so awesome. And marriage is great. And, and you're going to serve God together. And you're going to do all of this. And I'm sitting there. Months into our marriage going, Oh my God. What in the world is this? Because this is not like the, this is not what people prepared me for. Like I went back and I watched all my fairy tale movies and it ended right after the wedding. And I was like, what? You know, and I'm singing my heart out as awful as I sing and no little animal creatures are coming to help me clean my house. Or fold my laundry. They're not there. And I'm like, what? It was a big reality check. Like, oh my goodness, this is work. This is, this takes a lot. Like, this is a lot of investment and time has to go into making marriage work and making marriage fun and learning to trust the other person, you know? And I feel that sometimes we as Christians, that's what we have done to people. We're like, oh yes, serving Jesus is awesome. It's amazing. It's the greatest adventure that you'll have. You know, God will always be with you. And then they come, they get saved and then we just throw them back out and they never hear from us again. They never hear about the times that we walk through a difficult time. They never hear about what are you going to do now that you're saved. I think one of the best explanations that I've heard is in this video with David Platt. And I want you to watch it with me. So here you go. Let's listen.
1: Making disciples is the natural, or maybe better yet, supernatural overflow of being a disciple. Proclaiming the love of Christ is the overflow of sharing in the life of Christ. And I'm convinced many people in our churches are just simply missing the life of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel. I.e., pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life. Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrases, accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we see being preached. It's modern evangelism built on sinking sand, and it runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. It's a very dangerous thing to lead people to think that they are a Christian when they have not biblically responded to the gospel. If we're not careful, we will take the gospel, the lifeblood, out of Christianity and put Kool-Aid in its place so that it will taste better to the crowds. It's not just dangerous. It's just damning. And when, when, then when we think about making disciples, we think, well, it's just about going out and getting people to pray the prayer. We spread that. No, let's give them a full picture of the Gospel. Let's show people the greatness of God. Yes, He is a Father who loves us. He is a loving father who will save us, but he is also a wrathful judge who may damn us.
0: Wow. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, we ask that you speak into our hearts, oh Lord God, that you challenge us, Father, and that we will walk out from here different than when we came in. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think for a long time, we have seen the greatest commission. Go and tell. And that's where we stop. But that's not where Jesus stopped. He said, and make disciples. See, there's that one more step. And maybe you've been saved and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That all I ever heard was say the prayer and that's it, you're good. Check you later, see you in heaven. But it's not like that. So what does it look like? You know, Christianity, it it has it's practical. It's gotta do with God. So our text today is going to be in Mark. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. If you have them on your smartphone and it's being stubborn like mine, should carry a Bible. No, I'm kidding here we go mark 12 and we're going to be in verse 28 so let me set up where jesus is jesus is hanging out with a bunch of religious people and like always they are asking him all kinds of questions to try to trick him and so far jesus has answered all their questions and put them to shame and this is where Mark 12:28 picks up and it says one of the religion scholars came up hearing the lively exchanges of question and answer and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers he put in his question which is the most important of all the commandments Jesus said the first in importance is listen Israel the Lord your God is one so love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, sorry, with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second is like it, love others as yourself. The religious scholar answered answer, a wonderful answer teacher, so lucid and accurate, that God is one and there is no other. And that loving him with all passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as well as you love yourself. Why, that's better than all offerings and sacrifices put together. When Jesus realized how insightful he was, he said, You are almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. And after that, no one else dared to ask him a question. So, in order for you to understand the question and the answer you have to go back to the Pharisees because that's who this group is. And the Pharisees had studied all of the law, everything that the law said, and they had gotten all the commandments that God had given, and they had pulled them together, and there's actually 613 of them. And they divided them into positive ones and negative ones. And there are 248 positive ones and 365 prohibitions. And so the Pharisees, if you would have gotten saved back then or if you wanted to follow God, they would have said, okay, this is what you need to do. There are some things that matter to God more than others. So you need to do as many of the good things you can because when you do one of the bad things, it takes points off of you and you have to balance that. So the more good that you do, the better you're off and they were always arguing about which ones were the greatest which ones were the ones you had to follow it kind of reminds me of Christians today when they're like okay well how much do I have to buy into this Christianity thing like how close to sin can I get and still say I'm saved you know oh it's okay I went drinking last night but I showed up to Sunday school brownie points with Jesus. You know, oh, you know what? It's okay because I did sin, but I gave in the offering, so I'm sure it's going to be okay. Hmm. And see, Jesus took that and totally sliced through it, and he said, no, no, this is what you have to do. And I love the way he starts. He starts off saying that God, the Lord, he is one, and he is the one only one what does that mean for us it means that in our lives God is our priority God is our compass he is our guide it is God and no one else it's God and no one else see when Jason and I got married we said you're the one and there's going to be no one else in our marriage it's me and it's you buddy for the rest of our lives in good times and bad times You know, when you leave your socks on the floor and the hamper's just right there. You know, when I wash the clothes and I leave them in the clean bin. He's the only one. See, if anybody else tries to enter into this covenant that we made, into this commitment. It brings pain and heartbreak and separation. It destroys. It brings destruction. And that's how, that's how affairs get started. You know, affairs don't just happen from day to night. They lured in, they start off as innocent friendships. They start off in conversations that you don't tell your spouse about. In sharing things from your personal daily life with someone else. And at first it's innocent. And then it starts to get a little deeper. You start to expose more of yourself, more of your soul. And suddenly, your affections and your love and your attention is not focused on your spouse anymore. It's focused on that other person. See, that's God. When we accepted him into our heart, a savior, when we say, God, we're going to follow you, he's the only one. You cannot share That with anybody else, with anything else, it has to be God. He has to be the only one. He has to be the only one. Because if he's not, it's not going to work out. It's not. That's why Jesus started there. He said, listen, there's only one God. And it's our God. And he has to be the only one that has that place, that has their authority in your life. He's the only one that has that relationship with you. See, marriage is about being vulnerable, with more than, than just your body. It's about being vulnerable with your emotions, with everything you are. It's about sharing your dreams and your awful singing and hoping that the person won't like laugh at you. You yeah, know, Jason does make fun of me, but you know, it's beside the point. It takes everything. Takes everything, and that's who God is. He has to have everything. You have to be willing to give Him everything. If not, it's not going to work out. So God has to be the only one, and that's where Jesus starts. See, because when we're saved, it doesn't stop there. Soul activity is letting what happened in our heart and soul overflow into every single area of our lives. It can't just stay here. It has to flow out. There has to be a change. There has to be something different. It's giving our entire selves to God. And then listen. First of all, the Lord God, he is one. And then it says that you have to love the Lord your God. Love. The word that we associate with emotions It's not the word that is used in the Greek. See, English is one of the very few languages that uses love to express different types of caring. Okay? And, you know, we love pizza, we love our dog, we love our spouse, you know, we love our makeup. You know, in other languages, there's so many different levels and variations of that expression. And in the Greek, the actual variation here, it's agape love. Agape is a willful love. A determined love that generously chooses for the interest of other. It's a love that develops from knowing someone. It's a love that makes sacrifices, that makes a hard decision to put others' interests ahead of ourselves. That is the type of love that it's talking about. The type of love that says, God, it's not about me. It's about you. See, It's not about me anymore and what I want out of life. It's not about me and my plans anymore. It's about what God has created me for. What is he calling me to do? Because you know what? Someone else out there in the world is depending on me being obedient to God. They are. They're depending on my obedience. Maybe to hear the gospel. You know where our missionaries were here? They, he had a career. He had a job. They were not pastors. They, they were not in ministry of any other capacity other than coming and serving. And God was like, I need you to leave what you know and I want you to come and be missionaries to Thailand. I told Jason that my mother-in-law made me laugh because I'm telling her who they, who they are and these are missionaries and they're going off to Thailand. And she's like, but they have kids. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they do. And they're like, are they taking them with them? <laughs> I was like, well, they can't leave them behind. You know, they are. They're taking them with them. Because when that call of God came in their life, it was all or nothing. It was. And it is this kind of love that they love God so much that they said, we are willing to leave everything behind, everything that we know, everything that is comfortable, and step out into the unknown, into the scary and not just them. Their whole family's coming with them. You know what? Right now their kids have no choice in that. But they're trusting their parents. And their parents are trusting God. That's the kind of love we're talking about. The kind of love that gives. The kind of love that makes those sacrifices. You have to be able to make the hard decisions. It's everything. It's the whole. It's a holistic Love, there's no holding back, there's no incompleteness to our devotion. It's love, it's actions, it's not lip service saying, Oh God, I love you! Oh God, thank you so much for your blessings. It's action, it's action. It has to have something, you have to do something. It's not enough to receive. You have to do something because that's what makes the change. That's what happens. We cannot divide our love and our affection. It can't be divided. It has to be all God. It has to be that love. See, my love, it's for my husband and for him only. It's reserved specifically for him. Why? Because he's my husband. And I have to. He has to have that from me. See, marriage works when two people are giving 100% towards one another. I hate the concept that the world is telling you that you're looking for your other half or your better half. Because you know what? Halves don't work. It has to be all. It has to be 100%. It has to be you completely and the other person completing Christ. For you, two people come together as one. That's how God described it in the beginning. Two complete whole beautiful people become one, not halves. Two complete people. You're in it together. That's you and God. You're in it together. It's got to be all of you. Because God did not hold back. God gave all. And when He gives all, He expects all back. That's what it is. And Jesus goes on and says, You know what? It's not only loving actions, but this is what it looks like. It means that you give every area to God. It means that you love God in every area. You love Him with all of your heart. Why? Because the Bible tells us in Matthew 15:19 that out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. The heart is deceitful above all things. There is greed and unforgiveness and bitterness and offense. They all dwell and take place within the heart. And if we are not willing to give our heart over to God, we are in trouble, friends. That's why people leave churches because they get offended. That's why people don't leave victorious life because they let unforgiveness dwell in their hearts. They refuse to forgive even though God has forgiven us. See, as many times as I mess up, I mean, God's conversations and mine really go like, God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I lost my temper with my kids. You know, when was it? Yesterday, because my kids always choose to have meltdowns when Jason's not here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when I'm gone, they're perfect for him. I don't understand. And I was like, God, I don't know how to reach Josiah when he gets angry. I, I don't know. He frustrates the mess out of me. I don't know. And I'm sorry I lost my temper, but God, I don't know what else to do. You know, it's like, God, I'm sorry you'll let my husband for leaving his socks out. Like pantry, Jason socks. You know, I know they seem like little things, but you know what? Those socks have the potential to really make me angry. They do, because I will just look at them and I'll be like, "Oh my gosh, those socks!" And instead of just picking them up and putting them in the pan- in the not in the pantry, you in the dirty clothes bin by myself, I'm like, "I'm gonna see." How long it takes this man to walk past these socks, pick them up by himself, right there. And you know what? He'll walk by and he won't do it. And this anger in me starts to build up, you know, and then a day passes and two two days pass. And then he's like, hey, have you seen my socks? Yes, I've seen them. Still there where you left them. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm not that rational. Why? They just, I'm telling you, they have that potential. Why? Because in my heart, I've made it a bigger issue than it actually is. You know, when my husband asks me why I'm wearing those pants, why I'm wearing leggings, and I don't want to answer him that it's because the other pants don't fit, I want to get mad at him. I can take something that he says, even though it's innocent or it's in passing, and I can really let it hurt my feelings. And I can stay there and dwell on it and let it fester and be ugly and nasty. And who chose that? Me. That's unforgiveness. You know, you often hear it described that unforgiveness is drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. It doesn't work that way. That's why we have to love God with all of our hearts. We have to give all of that over to him and not allow bitterness and unforgiveness to take a hold in us. Because you know what? I will be honest. There are some times when I have considered becoming violent (laughs) because of those socks. They just, it festers that way. The longer you let it fester, the worse it gets. The worse it gets. You know, I love Pastor Richard. I did children's ministry with him for a long time. And he had a video, and it was about Gladys. And Gladys was one day, she was out strolling in the woods, and uh, a bird pooped on her nose bird poop and he had a video and it was really funny somebody stole that shame on them and uh and gladys gets really mad at the bird and she's like bird you better come apologize and the bird's a bird he doesn't understand so he just goes on his merry way and then you know her nose starts becoming infected and she goes to the doctor and the doctor's like get that poop off your face and she's like no not until that bird comes and apologizes an infection sets in and you know it drives her crazy and she's like out in the woods and she's killing all these birds that she sees and she dies and then it was so funny because at the end you see Gladys' grave and then a bird poops on it too it's just really funny. <laughs> it was hilarious and that's unforgiveness that's taking up an offense Sometimes people don't even know that they offended us. Dorothy, perfect example. Yesterday we are painting in the twist. We're having fun. I'm singing. I'm sorry. I was singing. Susan was sitting next to me. Bless her heart. She had to put up with me that whole time. And uh, And witnessed my ride and apparently and you know helen's like hey are you okay i'm like yeah What? Why, why were you not feeling well yesterday i'm like you know allergies congestion i've been on medication i'm on so much medication that oh my gosh wow and uh she goes you know yesterday you were walking out of painting with a twist and dorothy was walking right behind you talking to you and you never acknowledged her and i was like oh I'm like, you're lying. You're kidding. She's like, no. I'm like, darn. And I came in and apologized to her as soon as I could because it wasn't, honestly, I did not, I don't, yeah, I can't even remember. And I felt so horrible. But you know, Dorothy is this awesome person. And she was like, oh, don't worry about it. I completely understand. It's okay. And I'm like, oh, darn it. I am the most evil youth pastor's wife ever. Darn it. You know, epic fail. Was that my intent? No. It was a total, I just, I didn't see it. Could could Dorothy have taken an offense to it and really made it bitter and be like, you know what, I'm not going back to that church, that pastor's wife. But she didn't. That has to be us with our hearts. That's why our whole hearts have to be devoted to God. The next thing is our mind. Our mind is our perspective, our life, our viewpoint. You see, we are so good. America is about taking a social issue and finding a right verse for it. Let me search through my Bible and see where I can justify this. You know, oh, let me look through all these scriptures and let me pick out the one I know. I love my mother-in-law, y'all. She is hilarious. She um, one time Jason did something and I can't remember what it was and she was really angry at him, she googled the verse that fit that specific situation and texted it to him and it was hilarious <laughs> she was like or sometimes things will happen and in just she'll say I'm going to google a bible verse for that <laughs> but isn't that how we are we take social issues political issues And we try to make them fit. We try to make them, we try to pull up a Bible verse that matches what we want to get away with, what we want to do. And you know what? It's not like that. It's not like that. We have to take the Bible. We have to take the Bible. All right, testing, testing. Oh, thank you. But see, it's not about that. We have to take the Bible and base our decisions off of that. That is our compass. That is our guide. We have to take the Bible and say, what does God say about this? What does God say? Because he's the one that matters. It's not about fitting in with our culture or fitting in with, with what's popular or being with the popular opinion. It's about what does God say about this? That's our guide. See, you can't act based on the emotions or how you feel about the issue. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. What does God say about it? What does God say? See, sometimes I think that we come to church with the same mindset. Let me see what I can get out of this. Let me see if this church, if this preacher will say what I want to hear. What am I comfortable with? But see, it's not about that. The word of God is preached to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. It is. Sometimes we're so comfortable in our sin, we don't even know it's sin. We've ignored it for so long. We've made the Bible fit our wants and our needs and our desires. And we're so comfortable in it. Until we hear the word of God and we're like, oh no, never mind. That's not true. Darn. You know, phrases like children submit to your parents, honor your parents. That's the one my mom used to all the time. It's a good one. I'm going to use it with my kids. The last thing he tells us is to love God with all of our strength. That's our gifts and our talents. God has placed gifts and talents in us. And he wants us to use them for his glory. See, it's not about me. And you have to know what those strengths are. You have to know where your gifts are. See, for example, I am not gifted in singing. Ask Susan. I'm not gifted in singing. Mm Mm-mm, can't happen. That's not my gift. And see, sometimes our gifts, we're really selfish with them. If we use them, we use them for the wrong thing. We use them to flash the light at ourselves so that people can see how spiritual we are. So people can see how amazing we are. See, you don't know this, but pastors see this a lot in their lifetime. Pastor, you need me. Oh, you can't tell me that, pastor, because then I won't play in your worship band. Oh, don't get on to me, pastor, or I won't give. Yeah, I know you look surprised, but (laughs) you talk to a room full of pastors and you'll be like, yep, yep, we've had that before. Yep. Oh, don't get onto my sin. Don't preach about this because we'll leave and we'll take our whole family with us. See, God gave you your talents for a reason, and it was to serve, and it was to bring glory and honor to God. It's for God, it's everything that you are for God everything inside of you it's for God he is the only one and if God is not taking over all of your life if what happened inside of you is not spilling onto every single area then you just had an emotional high see the Bible says that when people come to Christ they cannot be the same Paul said, let him who steal, steal no longer. There's a change and it's evident. There's a commitment that takes place. When we, when we choose to follow Jesus, it's that disciple. The word discipline is not a popular one. Look on Facebook. People are like, should parents be allowed to spank their kids? Ah, uh, Yeah, they should be allowed to spank their kids. Uh we should be able to and put that discipline in our children you know whatever discipline looks like whether it's curfews whether it's you know cleaning up it's got to be there and you know what following christ is becoming a disciple it's an everyday thing it's an all area of your life thing You can't hold back anything. See, when Jason and I got married, I cannot hold back anything from my spouse. Because if I do, I'm cheating him. I'm purposefully leaving him out of a part of my life. And that's not how marriage was designed to work. And you know what? The Bible compares our relationship with God to a marriage so much because it's true. It's that commitment that God, in the good times and in the bad times, God, I'm going to trust in you. God, when I chose to become a disciple and to follow you, I made that commitment. And I'm not quitting just because things are hard. God, in this commitment, I made it for all of my life. For all of it. It wasn't only when things were good, God. It was for all of my life. You have to be God over every single area. See, God can't just come and be a part owner or a renter in your life. You know, it can't, He can't. He's an all or nothing God, there is no in between. It is awesome when people get saved. But you know the reason why our teenagers leave the churches when they go to college? Because we never discipled them. We never shared this truth with them. We never shared the importance of having a devotional life. We never shared the importance of prayer. not only did we not share it we did not show it our kids never watched us pray our kids outside of Sunday morning never watched us praise God our kids never saw us be generous that's why so many people get saved but leave the church get saved and then go right back to where they were because we haven't shared with them that it's an all in it's a listen it's a commitment it's a commitment it's going to take all of you God wants all of you your past, your present, your future He wants it it has to be all him. You have to be willing to make that sacrifice, that sacrifice, because you love God. See, my goals in my life were to be a, a clinical psychologist. I wanted criminal. Uh, I wanted to study criminal behavior. That was my goal. Yes, I studied for it. I have a bachelor's in psychology, and I was saving money to get my master so that I could do that. I was twenty at the time but you know when I was 12 years old in a youth service I gave my life to Christ and I will never forget that I said God I am all yours wherever you want me to go whatever you want me to do I'm all in years later God would cash in on that promise when he was like, no, no, darn. this is what I want you to be. This is what I have called you to do. And you know what? I had to look at my psych degree and be like, darn it. I can't use you for anything. Other than trying to fix Jason and that has not worked y'all. you know what I've never regretted it not one time not where things were hard and ugly and when we thought we were not going to make it not when our hearts have been trampled on and broken not even when we have been betrayed and we have spent days and months crying broken, unsure of what to do or where to go or what's next Has been sufficient in all that time? Why? Because we gave it all to God, and God gave all of Himself back to us. And if you want to experience the awesomeness and the amazingness that is a true what a true disciple and follower of Christ is, it's going to cost you. Successful marriages pay the price. Disciples of God pay the price. And it costs everything. Every area of our lives must be dedicated to God. Because if not, we're just gonna be miserable. <laughs> we're gonna be those wishy-washy Christians that show up on the good times, don't see them in the bad times. We're gonna be ineffective in the kingdom of God. And we're going to take an all about me mentality where worship is about me. They didn't play my songs. I don't like that new song. I don't know that song. The music is too loud. You become this critical person that instead of coming and saying, man, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to everything. man today I'm just going to worship him and give it all to him. I don't care what songs they're singing. I don't care if Tina's standing right next to me and singing as loud as she can in her awful voice. I'm going to press through. It's about God You don't You're like, oh my God, she's wearing that Really? That's the risk, church That we become a legalistic, critical Hypocrite church And that's not what God has for us If we're going to reach our community We have to be all in We have to be all in. So today, we're going to pray. So I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want you to look at your life and ask yourself Am I all in? my finances am I all in God look in my heart and show me am I all in and if this morning you're realizing man there are areas in my life that I have withheld from God there is unforgiveness bitterness offense in my heart that I haven't let go There's an area in my life, maybe it's your heart, maybe it's your soul, maybe it's your mind, maybe it's strengths and gifts that you're not using, that this morning you want to say, God, today I just want to give it all in. Just real quickly raise your hand for me. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. I see those hands. Awesome hands are going up all over. Let's pray, God, this morning. God, we want to be all in. God, we are tired of holding back, oh Lord God. Lord, every single area of our lives, Holy Spirit, take over. God, search our hearts, search our minds, oh Lord God. Point out those places, oh Lord God, that we need to give over to you, Lord. God, we don't want to hold anything back. We want to be all in, Lord. We want to be all in. God, that what happened in our hearts, the work that you did, the forgiveness that you gave us, the love that you showed us will flow out and spill out to every single area of our lives. That it would be so evident, Lord God, that others will notice it. God, if we are going to fulfill the vision that you have for Mehea, we have to be all in. And this morning we make that commitment to you, God. We are all in, Lord. Use us, O Lord God. Because this is all about you, Lord. You are the one that matters. It was great to have you here this morning.